I am successful. Greedy. Greedy. I am confident. Weak. Weak. I am beautiful. Envious. Envious. I am victorious. Broken. Broken. I am happy. We can hide behind almost anything and pretend to be fine. But no matter who we are, no matter where we're at, when the mask is torn off, we're all messed up. We're freaking messed up. Chances are, when you heard I was doing a series called Freaking Messed Up, you thought you knew somebody who needed it. Right? <laughs> There was a nomination that came to your mind. She needs that. If anybody's freaking messed up, she is. Or he is. This is Halloween weekend, and you know, I've been watching, you know, some of the stuff on television and, and in the movies and in television. They try to put the horror flicks on. I'm guessing that the scariest thing you and I have ever seen has been inside of us. We've probably been amazed sometimes at the thoughts that have come out of our minds. And maybe even after, and then probably even definitely after, you, many of you have decided that you were going to follow Jesus. And that's what really, really rocked you in a really negative kind of way because you thought you had invited Christ into your life. And then all of a sudden, out of your mind was coming this horrifically bad, scary, horror flick thought. And you asked yourself, how could that thought be inside of me? One thing I love about God and I always tell you I hate religion. And this is in such contradistinction to organized religion. One thing I love about God is he does not paper over the problems of the saints. Help me with this. I, I don't come from an organized traditional religious background. Is this All Saints Day? It is? Okay. Well, <clears throat> let me just tell you where I think organized religion really gets this particular one wrong. I think if I've got this right, that the idea of a saint is somebody who lives this really exemplary life. And then you can sort of certify them with a couple of miracles. And then the next thing you know, they're a saint. And then you can pray to them. And then they intercede for you with God. First of all, that is so far backward to the Bible. I can't even begin to start on how far backward that is. I mean, first of all, when you read about saints in the Bible, they're people like you and me. I mean, how many times do you open the Bible and St. Paul is writing to the saints at Ephesus or the saints at you know, Philippi. Saints are just people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That means I'm Saint Mark. Did you know that? <laughs> and you're Saint Ellen or Saint Tricia or, you know, Saint Jason. I, 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 here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a saint. And as far as interceding, the Bible says there's only one person who intercedes for us with God, and that is Jesus Christ. Then I can go straight to the top guy. Isn't that great? I don't have to go to St. Susie or St. Peter or St. Joe or whatever. I can just go straight to Jesus. Yeah, but the deal is I think all of us need to be real honest that even the so-called saints in the Bible had their issues. I mean, Noah, after the flood, got drunk and did something kind of bad. And the Bible puts it right there for us to read. Seven weeks before Peter preached the greatest sermon of his life, he, he cursed and lied and said he didn't know Jesus. I mean, read the Bible and you'll find out that the people who were the saints did things that were pretty awful and probably nobody stands out more than David because when you look at him on one side, he, is, he seems to be this wonderful, wonderful person even from boyhood. If I, if I said to you, David and, most likely in that second blank, you would put Goliath. 
because even when he was a boy, he was very courageous. And the Bible says he took a bag of rocks, you know, and a slingshot and went out to go mano a mano with a giant who was almost nine feet tall that everybody else was afraid of. And he, and he, and he killed him. And David was a, a, a wonderful guy. In fact, God said about David that he is a man after his. This is God talking. God said he's a man after his own heart. And then he started writing songs. And in fact, David wrote most of the songs in the Bible in a book called Psalms. It just means songs. And in those songs, David just like poured out his heart to God. And when I read those songs that he wrote, I just am amazed that a guy would have that kind of intimate relationship with God. This is the guy who wrote things like, the Lord is my shepherd, and even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't be afraid for you're there. He's the one who wrote, bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget all of his benefits. He's the one who wrote, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. I mean, he just wrote these marvelous songs, and he was a wonderful, wonderful guy, and God elevated him and blessed him. But this guy who had that wonderful side that we love so much that we, you know, we read his songs. And many of us, I mean, to be honest with you, I remember the one time I went into surgery before they said, you know, count backward and I went into darkness. The last thing I was quoting was one of the songs that David wrote. And yet in middle age, one day he was on top of his palace, saw a naked woman who was the wife of one of his young military officers. And while this officer was away at battle, David sent for this woman. He had sex with her. She told him later that they had conceived a child, and he tried to cover it up by getting this young officer to come home and have sex with his wife in the hopes that he would think that the baby was his. But the young officer was too noble to go home while his, while his fellow soldiers were out in the field, and he just slept in the hallway. And David realized that the only way he could save himself the embarrassment was to make sure this young officer died. And he took one of his noblest officers and instructed his superior to put him in a place in the battle where he was sure to die. Now think about this. David stole another man's wife, a noble man's wife, and to cover up his own embarrassment had the man killed. Now I'm going to tell you something. That's pretty dark. But I'm guessing that you and I understand the same thing with ourselves personally. Just as God has not papered over the issues that the saints had, I think we make a mistake if we paper over our own issues. Because I have to be honest with you, as I stand before you today, I want to tell you there is a side of me that is freaking messed up. There is a side of me that I am amazed at. There are are thoughts that come into my head sometimes that just blow me away. Now, thankfully, and I'm going to show you how you can do this. Thankfully, God has helped me grow a lot, but I'm telling you, it's still there. And I don't care if you're a Christian who's been a believer for 50 or 60 years, I'm guessing you still have this dark side. When I was a kid growing up, there was a group of people that taught that you could live above sin. In other words, you could just reach the place where you live such a pristine life that you just no longer had any sin in your life, and they tried to convince everybody else. Remember my dad, when he used to preach about this when I was a little boy, he said the only way you could live above sin was to rent out a place over a tavern. You know, but... Now, for the next few moments, I'm going to probably deviate from my normal style because I usually just stand up here and talk to you and, and read, give you a few Bible verses. But today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to the Bible, and I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture verses today. And the reason for that is when we, when we deal with this issue while we're freaking messed up, even God followers are freaking messed up, 
I, I think we need to understand that God takes us in a direction that is not what people normally think. And let me tell you what I mean by that before I get into these verses. I think most people have the idea that what I need to do is I need to do better. I am freaking messed up. There, are, there is stuff in me. There's, there's anger issues and lust issues and pride issues and envy and jealousy stuff inside of me, and I don't like it. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to hang with a different group of people. And most of us have the idea that we started out life in neutrality and just bad circumstances and bad situations and hanging with the wrong people. That's what got us defiled and messed up. So if we can just get away from those people and start you know, thinking good thoughts, then we'll be all right. Well, I'd be honest with you if I said that would be the normal inclination for me. The Bible takes us in a direction of 180 degrees. And because it's so radical, I want you to read it with me. So these verses will be up on the IMAG screens. But I just want to, I want to start off with this. And this is going to mess, some of us, mess with some of us already. You were born freaking messed up. Could I just tell you that? I was born freaking messed up. I know that's backward because the idea is we're all born innocent. But the deal is we were born freaking messed up and we got messed up hundreds, thousands of years before we were born. So I'm not telling you that you're a victim. I'm just telling you when it comes to being freaking messed up, you didn't have a vote. It happened before you got here. Let me explain to you. In Romans chapter 5 verse 12, listen to what the Bible says. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, the death there, and think with me for a moment, because if you go back to the first part of the Bible, and we're, we're, we're looking now probably in Genesis 3, be the third chapter of the Bible, this is where Adam and Eve both sinned. God gave them one rule, and they broke it. Sin, oftentimes, we, have, we think about sin as acts of sin, but sin is that which is not like God. By the way, you know, when we use the word holy, every once in a while people use the word holy, and they have an idea that's like stained glass, or sometimes people think about somebody who's a holy roller. The word holy just means that which is like God. So you might want to think about that the next time you use that as a byword in connection with something else. Holy just means that which is like God. Unholy is that which is not like God. And and so when Adam and Eve sinned, they, they, they committed an act of rebellion, which is not like God. And sin entered the world. Now remember, God had said to Adam, the day you eat of the fruit that he had forbidden, God said, you will die. Now some people read that and say, well, wait a minute. The Bible says Adam lived for a long time after that. See, our problem is when we think about death, we only think about one kind of death. We think about physical death. We go to someone's funeral and we say that person has died. But you are more than just your body. In fact, this is deeper than I want to go, but you are a trichotomy. You are a three-parted person if you've invited Jesus Christ into your life. You are body, you are soul, and your spirit. Body is the physical part of you that we see. But there is a part of you that nobody can see. For instance, your thought process. I can't see your thought process. I can see the effect of it in your body, but I can't see your thinking. That's your soul. But there is also a part of us that is spirit, which is our apparatus for communication with God. It is our ability to interact with God. Now, what happened when Adam sinned, he died spiritually. He was still alive physically. He was still alive soulishly in the sense that he could still think and process, but he died spiritually. He lost that capacity for interaction with God. And the Bible tells us that we're all born spiritually dead. We're born physically alive, 
We're born soulishly alive, but we just are born without that spiritual apparatus for communication with God. Maybe the best way of saying it is we are born separated from God. Let let me read another verse of scripture to you in Isaiah chapter 64 that says it better. It says, we are all infected and impure with sin. Now, let me just read that one more time because I have a word circled in my notes. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. It was almost as if God sort of knew how we would react to that first line because God is saying we're all freaking messed up. We're all infected. We're all messed up with sin. And somebody would say, wait a minute, please. Here, I am a good person. I do good things. I try to be nice to my neighbor. I don't cut people off in traffic. I pay my taxes. I try to tell the truth most of the time. I am a good person. And God is saying, well, wait a minute. Compared to God's goodness, our goodness, well, there's no way to say this, but God said our goodness is like a hygiene product. And I don't want to say what they are, but some of them have wings. God is just saying, (laughs) in his sight, that's what our goodness is. Do you see how different that is from our way of thinking? We're thinking, is well, I'm pretty good. And most of the time we're thinking, I'm pretty good because I'm better than him or I'm better than her. But God is saying, compared to his perfect standard of righteousness, that even when we try to be good on our own, our goodness is this filthy rags. So I know what many of us have the idea about. I know this is what I would think if I didn't have the Bible. I would say, well, I just have to be careful that I don't get messed up by the people around me and by the things around, around me. That's the whole message of religion. In fact, in Jesus' day, there was a group of people that were the most religious people of his time. They were called the Pharisees. And the very word Pharisee means separate or separatists. And Pharisees were always trying to keep back from anything they thought might, might cause them sin. They wouldn't get close to a sinful person. If a Samaritan, we're going to talk about a Samaritan person next week. If a Samaritan would walk down the same side of the street as a Pharisee, a Pharisee would cross the other side because they were afraid of being infected. And these people were always giving Jesus trouble. By the way, Jesus had a lot more trouble from the religious crowd than he had from people that were the out-and-out bad-of-the-bone sinners. He could always help them. The one group of people he couldn't help was the religious crowd because they were trying not to be infected. And here's what Jesus said to them. He said, it's what comes from from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit. Lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these vile things come from within. They're what defile you. You know what Jesus is saying to me today? He's saying, Mark, your problem is not the defilement that you have out in the world. The problem is what's coming from the inside. I want to talk to the traditional church for a moment, and I know that Probably you're not here at New Spring. But this will be on television, okay? You know what's messed up the traditional church in America in the last 50 years and why so many people today want nothing to do with the church? We've communicated that the problem is on the outside. When the people on the outside know that the people on the inside are freaking messed up and they won't be straight about it. Now, I know this is, counter, this is 180 degrees from what most of us think, at least would think naturally. 
But Jesus is saying, Mark, your problems come from within. And God would say to me today, Mark, there's stuff in your heart. And by the way, when the Bible talks about your heart, you know, of course, it's not talking about the pump in your chest. People in those days believed the heart was the seat of the emotions. It was the seat, the very essence of the person. It would be the inner person. You know, God is saying, Mark, your problem is in your heart. You were born with it. You have a corrupted operating system before you ever got to town. By the way, you don't have to teach a child to steal. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to be rebellious. You don't have to teach a child to be angry. Those are things that we just come loaded. We, we come preloaded with those things because we're born freaking messed up. And this is, this is an expression that every time I hear it, I just cringe. I hear people say today, well, just trust your heart. Just trust your heart. Man, it just makes me think about a greeting card, doesn't it? Just trust your heart. You know, precious moments. <laughs> Nothing against precious moments. Sir. <laughs> Proverbs 28, verse 26 has a little word to say about trusting your heart. It says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. And in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the Bible says the human heart, that's the inner person, is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Wow. You know what God is saying to me today? God is saying, look, Mark, you really don't know how bad you are on the inside. And, you know, I think the reason why we don't know how bad we are on the inside is we've spent so much time trying to craft a mask so that we can just function in life. But really, when it gets down to it, isn't it like the song that Steve just sang a few moments ago? I mean, aren't there moments, aren't there times when stuff comes from the inside of you and you say, I feel like a monster? I was talking to somebody the other day, and I just was in an edgy mood that morning and just... And I walked away and I thought, where did that come from? It came from in here. I mean, God is saying, you really don't even know how bad it is. I mean, Jesus said there was all kinds of stuff that could come out of the heart. Thankfully, a lot of things Jesus talked about I've never gotten into, but I have to listen to him that it could be down inside there. None of us knows what we would do in the wrong moment, in the wrong circumstances. Jeremiah said, who really knows how bad it is? I was listening to the lyrics of the song or watching the lyrics of the song while Steve was singing a few moments ago. And I don't know who you think wrote the song. I'm not sure I know who wrote the lyrics myself, but I'll tell you who could have written the lyrics. The person who could have written the lyrics was Paul, the guy we call Paul the Apostle, because he's the first one to write the lyrics of the song that you heard right before the message. You say, I can't believe that. Paul could write a punk song? Well, listen to, <laughs> listen to what he said. Okay, here we go. Romans 7, this is Romans 7, verse 18. I know, Paul said, that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. That's the part of me that's freaking messed up. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, if you have that, don't circle it necessarily in your Bible unless you want to, but look at what he said. I want to do what is right, but I can't. What's he talking about there? He's talking about two operating systems, two natures. I, he's not saying this person wants to do what's right, but this person can't do what's right. He's talking about the same person. He's saying, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. 
Man, we're talking about one of the greatest human beings who ever lived, and yet he is saying the same thing that I've said. I want to do what's right, but I can't. It's like I'm shackled. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Verse 21 of chapter 7 says, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. He didn't say he was freaking messed up, but he could have, couldn't he? Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? In a moment of honesty, could you and I get to that place? Could we get to the place where we're not thinking about somebody we know? Could we get to the place where, like Paul, who is probably the greatest human being, the most effective human being who ever lived outside of Jesus, could we get to the place, like Paul, where we could say, I'm the problem. I want to do what's right, but I keep falling. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I keep doing it anyway. How can I be delivered? When Paul asked that question, he sets up what I believe is the greatest chapter of the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, if you told me, and I've been speaking since I was 16, I'm 53, if you said to me today, Mark, after all these years of speaking, for the rest of your life, you can only choose one chapter out of the Bible, and you can only preach from that chapter. It would take me about a millisecond to say Romans 8. Because I guarantee you, I could, I, I could keep you busy for the rest of my life in Romans 8, and we would never get to the end of all of its wonder. What has Paul just said? He said, who's going to free me? How can I ever be right? I'm freaking messed up, and how can I ever be right again? And then he says in verse, the last part of verse, chapter 7, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we're going to look at two things in the next five minutes of this message, and then I'll be through. Because there are two answers to that question, things that Jesus does in our lives to keep us from being freaking messed up. The first thing is a legal change that has to happen, and the second thing is a practical thing. So let me hit those real quick. Let's talk about the legal thing. I love chapter 8, verse 1. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. What could the condemnation be for? For being freaking messed up. All the stuff we've done, the stuff we've thought, the things that we've wanted to do that we would have done if we wouldn't gotten arrested, all that kind of stuff. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 2, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Now, here's the great thing for all of us. Because a few moments ago, you could have said, Mark, I don't think this is fair. For me to get messed up before I was born and never have a vote in it, I don't think this is fair. Okay, maybe not. But God's solution happened before you were born too, and you didn't have a vote in that. And beyond that, you couldn't have made it happen if you'd wanted to. It took God's love and the willingness of Jesus Christ to do what he did for us. 
Now here's the deal. We said a few moments ago that the problem that happened with Adam's sin is that he died spiritually, and we were all born as his descendants, and he passed spiritual death to us. He infected us with it. Now, how were we born? Think for a moment. We were born physically alive, soulishly alive, but spiritually dead. We had no apparatus for communication with God. So in other words, we can't find our way to God. I mean, this is one of the things that just makes me so crazy. People, well, I'm going to try all these religions and find my way to God. You don't find your way to God. God found his way to you. And so here's what the Bible says God did. Someone had to give his life for us. Somebody had to take our punishment for us. And God put his son into the world in a body. Now notice, did you see that a moment ago, how that Paul emphasized that? Jesus came into our world. God as his father. He was not born to Adam, so he wasn't infected. But Mary was his mother, so he was human. He was human and God at the same time. 33 years he lived his life and never once failed to sin. He was a champion where Adam was a failure. And then he lay on a cross, and guess what he did? He took our death for us. And at the moment that you and I invite Jesus Christ into our lives, we're going to have a trillion issues, but the great thing that happens at the moment that we invite Jesus Christ in our lives is legally God makes us come alive, and God writes our name in the census book of heaven and makes us God's child, and legally the matter is settled. We are adopted at that moment. Oh, I, got, I got just a few minutes. I got to tell you this story. I know I may have told you before. But you guys know I'm really old. And... Uh, <laughs> In the, in the mid-late 70s, there was a craze that hit the United States that just was, it was really crazy. It was called CB or Citizens Band Radios. And for all of you who didn't live in that era, that they were prehistoric cell phones. <laughs> and before the mid-70s, Citizens Band Radios had been just for a few geeks and for, for truckers. You know, they were two-way radios where people would talk to each other. But they were difficult to handle, difficult to manage. And in order for you to have one that was effective, you had to have an antenna either on the roof of your car or the trunk deck lid. And then people were just crazy about it. People buy brand-new cars, high-end cars, and they had to put this antenna and a CB radio inside their cars. And, and I wanted to be part of the craze because, after all, who wants to be left out? Because if you were driving around you didn't have an antenna on your car, you are just nobody. I had a 1977 Cutlass, and I had to, the only place that one could be installed was under the dash, just right at the entry point of the car on the left side of the dash. And every time I get in the car, I bang my right knee on the thing. <laughs> had bruises all the time. Never once talked on the thing, but I had the antenna <laughs> driving around town. I'm cool. Anyway, after banging my knee on that thing too many times and not using it, I said, enough of that. I just, the thing was on the slide anyway. I just pulled it out and stuck it in the trunk, but I left the antenna on. <laughs> Morales and I were driving to Houston. I think I was on my way down to speak the first time at the church where I would be after I graduated from college. And I'm driving down I-45, and along comes an 18-wheel truck driver, real friendly guy, Texas, waved at me, and way back at him. And after a few moments, I mean, he was just like staying right with me. You know, every, you know just, he, he pulled out his microphone from his CB radio and pointed to it. <laughs> he wanted to talk with me. And what could I do? Because I didn't have any apparatus for communication. I had the antenna on my deck. <laughs> but I couldn't talk to the man. After a while, he thought I was the most stuck-up guy in the world. He just drove away angry at me, but I couldn't talk to him. You know, some of us are like that. 
We've got religion in our lives. We don't have God. We're missing that. We've never come alive spiritually. And that's why every weekend, if you're a new springer, that's why every weekend, what do I do? I pray. I say, pray with me. If you've never, I'm saying, hey, man, get, get spiritually alive. God wants to declare you spiritually alive. It's not something that you progress into. It's not something that you join. You don't give money to get it. It is a gift. Jesus died for you so that you could come spiritually alive. He took your death and so that you could become alive with God. That's the first thing that happens. Now, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, nothing can ever take that relationship away from you. But if you'd be honest, you would say, but Mark, I'm still freaking messed up. You and me too. When you accept Christ, that's something that happens instantaneously. But there's also something that happens progressively. And I want to read that to you. I want to take you back to Romans chapter 8. In verse 5, it says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Look at, look at this word in verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. When I accepted Jesus, he changed my status. Every time I let God instruct my mind, I get less messed up. Oh, we could have a whole other sermon right now on how to, how to let God into your thinking. I could talk about reading your Bible where you could know how God thinks. I could talk about being in church so that you can hear God's word. I could talk about praying and asking God to speak to your heart. All those things would be true. But if I don't accomplish anything else in this talk except this one thing, let me just try to close with this. How about just coming to such an honest moment that you would say to yourself, and most importantly to God, God, I don't know how to think because most of us think we do. Most of us think we know how to think. If we can just convert other people to our way of thinking, the world will be okay. But if God is right, I don't know how to think. And maybe just a moment of humility, and I'm talking to God followers this morning, but maybe just a moment of humility where you would bow your head before God and say, Lord, I don't know how to think. Help me. He would. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've learned today. Father, if there's anyone here today who's never really turned his or her life over to you, help them to do that in the next few minutes. And for those of us who have, I pray that you would help us to understand we really don't know how to think. But you would help us. And to think like you think is life and peace. Oh, Lord, I could use both those things, life and peace. Help us in Jesus' name. A few moments ago, I talked about people that maybe might have religion, maybe might not have religion, but there's really no apparatus for communication with God because you've never really come spiritually alive. Oh, your mind is great, and you're, you're physically alive, 
but there's never been that part of you that's spiritually alive. You know, God wants to make you spiritually alive. I mean, his son Jesus died for you. He paid the price. All you have to do is receive the gift. And the Bible says whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. Would you be willing to pray and invite him into your life today? I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words. You can use your own words if you wish, but these are, these are words that call out to God. And, and I'm going to pray them slowly so that you can think about each line. But if you're ready to invite Jesus into your life, why don't you pray with me right now? Dear Jesus, I know I've done wrong, but I believe you died in my place. I believe you arose from the grave. Would you forgive me of my sins and make me spiritually alive? I trust you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that happens suddenly, but if you just pray with me to receive Christ, I have a gift I've prepared for you. It, just like salvation, it won't cost you a thing. It's totally free. It's got some DVDs and great stuff to help you know what you just did and to help you with your first steps. And if you would like to um, receive this, if you just pray with me, what I'd like to ask you to do is when you came in today, you got a worship folder. Part of it's detachable. If you would just... Oh, you shouldn't tear it that like that. And that's awful. You can see the little corner up here, and you can see just a little picture of the little packet I just showed you. Please put your name and address on there. Check the box that I prayed to receive Christ. There's going to be an offering in a moment. Just drop this in the offering bag, and I'll mail it to you. But if you're like me and you don't like to wait, you don't have to wait. I know we're a little crowded this morning, but if you have a few extra minutes, I'm going to point right behind the television cameras out in the lobby there. There are two zones on either side called Guest Services and New Spring Store. If you just pray with me to receive Christ and you want this today, just take the card back there. They won't stalk you. They won't bother you. They won't engage you in conversation. They won't ask you tough historical questions. Just say, I pray with Mark. And if you'll give them this, they'll give you this. Guys, thanks for being here. The, the message of the series is next week. And it's called God Loves People Who Are Freaking Messed Up. And I tell you, it's really, really something. So I want to encourage you to come back next week.